In today's podcast, we continue our conversation with Charles Cox. Charles is a medium, a spiritualist minister, teacher, and founder of the Denver Psychic Development Group. For more information on Charles, you can visit denver-psychic.com. To contact myself or Lori, you can email us at spiritroadpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you feel so called, stick around after the credits roll for some post-show conversation. Welcome to Awkwardly Zen Presents Spirit Road, a podcast about our spiritual journey where we can be awkwardly ourselves. It's a path that can be funny, absurd, enlightening, and life-changing all at the same time. Join us as we explore this mysterious world and life we live in. I'm Tim Behrens. I'm Laurie Hewitt. And this this is Spirit Spirit Road. So these spirits, all they have is just their connections with people. And that's only because that's at the end of the day, that's all we have, our interactions with the folks that we, that's it. Cars come and go, even people come and go. Clothes come and go, fortunes come and go. The Shakespeare quote about slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, right? This this was true in the 1500s, it's true now. Your people are down, then they're up, (laughs) then they're back down again. And they're back up again. Nothing to, nothing permanent about any of it. And then we die. So there's nothing even permanent in that. Do you think that human beings will ever understand this and realize that that the only thing that really matters is relationships? And what you were saying, Tim, really check assumptions and stop living our lives based on what we think we know or what our ego spins as opposed to going directly to the person saying, hey, do we have an issue? You know, the other day I thought you were whatever. Do you think we'll ever reach that point where we can do that? Because if we could, then think how our whole culture and the entire world would shift. There wouldn't be any more conflict. People would actually get along and love one another and care about each other and realize that at the end of the day, we're all one and there really isn't separation except for what we make it in our own head. You don't think that'll ever happen? It's funny as I'm I'm relating to this and I feel like this is true and it resonates. And yet also I want to be contrary for a moment, like in, in the sense that uh, there's a self-actualization kind of thing happening too, right? Where I wonder to what extent we're able to entertain this idea because we do have a roof over our head and we do know where our next meal is coming from and that we're not worried about how how to pay the bills next month or whatever. Like when those things are taken away from us, how much are we able to think about right. what's important in life versus survival and, you know, ego driven? Yes. What do I have yes. to do? Um, it's kind of the dilemma of the human experience, right? That we have to be in places of comfort and have these material things before we can start to think about spirit and what yeah, really it's a matters. Yeah. Hierarchy of needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you can't think about this shit unless you've got your belly full and you can know where you know you're sleeping tonight, that sort of thing. Absolutely. When you're in in survival mode, that's all you're in is in survival mode. And I wonder though, if we 
were able to evolve beyond this, then that would also not be an issue because everyone would survive. I mean, we would yes. be beyond survival. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is where I'm a disruptor when I have people wander into class and they're big fans of, of Law of Attraction. I, I really don't care that anyone believes this, I, even though it, com it comes off otherwise. But it doesn't work for me and for the reasons exactly that you're talking about. What you're telling me is a man in Central Africa who has no access to fresh water, who's living under authoritarian rule, there is no uh, economy of any kind to think about, that if he just thought happy thoughts that, or thought the right thoughts, that life would change for him. So we have options in the West, and particularly in the United States, that no one else has. Right. And so if you recognize that, then it frees up my empathy. It frees up my empathy for other people because I recognize where I was born, when I was born, and how that affects the trajectory of my life. I think that I can scratch the surface of understanding how someone being born African-American in the 20s in the Deep South and how that affected the trajectory of their life. Yikes. I won the lotto. See, I go to 7-Eleven to buy lotto tickets, but truth is I've already won lotto because of where I was born. And, you know, so I think about this a lot in that it, you know, you say, well, they should, should have done better. I, I don't know. We all weren't dealt the same cards. And I've met people who have been dealt rotten hands. And I refuse to believe that it's because they weren't thinking the right thoughts. I just, yes. I just cannot. I think some of this, a friend of mine 20 some years ago, it's 20, close to 20, in her early 40s, developed cancer. And it was everywhere. I mean, she just, she wasn't feeling well with the doctor. I mean, it was like head to toe, it was horrid. Mm -hmm. And within three months, she was gone. But she agonized in that three months, holding my hand, asking me what she had done wrong. Do you think I did something wrong? Maybe it was a, something I ate or a thought I had or whatever. And I, I walked away from the experience, A, losing my friend, and B, thinking I never at any moment, I mean, I really did a lot of thought about this, never was I holding her hand and thought, what did you do? I, I could not find anything I couldn't find any way to blame her for this experience that she was having, including dying. And that beat cleanly out of me the whole law of attraction stuff. I wonder if I give you something to make your head explode. I wonder if law of attraction sometimes isn't an artifact of time's arrow. And what I mean, what I mean by that, time's moving in one direction. I go out and get in my car. And as I sit in my car to turn the gas, I think someone's going to hit me on my way home. Then I get onto Wadsworth and someone hits me. I tell this story and they're like, see, you made that happen. But I wonder if my mind was out of the stream of time for a second. Mm -hmm. By accident or by some design that I don't understand to give me forewarning about what was to happen. And people have told this story and they'll say, well, I saw myself getting, so my office is on a very busy street called Wadsworth. So I see this, someone's going to hit me on Wadsworth. Wadsworth is not my only way home. So they'll change the way home and they get it on the way home, taking another way. So did they create that? Right. I just think law of attraction is, it may be an artifact of, of time that we have some awareness outside of the linear awareness that we have 
right? I'm going to meet this woman that looks just like this. And then you meet this woman that looks just like this. Did you create her? No. And the other problem with law of attraction is I have had opportunities and people in my life that I could not possibly have imagined. People who have touched my life. This wasn't me sitting around in my cozy, lazy boy chair thinking, I wish I had someone that would touch my life, right? This was something, some bumbling thing that just busted into my life that made my life better, that brought opportunities with them, opportunities for growth and friendship and love and all this crazy stuff that I didn't create that. I didn't create that person. I didn't create this opportunity. So at best, if there's a law of of attraction, it is a co-law with something else, but it can't possibly be a capital L law of attraction because I just... Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think in the moment I'm kind of thinking about what are the differences between law of attraction and manifestation? Because I do feel like we live in a quantum field of potential where our expectations will affect the nature of what we experience in reality. And also that we're also manifesting, in a sense, through the lens of our beliefs. We we hold these things in our heart space and some of them are self-defeating. And sometimes we might put an intention out to the universe, which could be seen as law of attraction or manifestation, whatever it is. But it gets filtered through those things that are somewhat self-defeating. And and it's in that sense, it's not really anyone's fault that something happens, but it's more like a reflection of this ego mind that we're talking about, you know, and where it's where it's not so simple as to say, well, I, I I'm thinking good thoughts. Why didn't things come my way? It might be something very simple of. Um, well, I, I have these beliefs that I've been living with that really won't allow that to come my way. Or I ha- or looking back in the past lives while well, I'm working on this theme or whatever, and, and it's not really um, conducive at this point for me to manifest this because it's not in line with what my soul's trajectory is. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm making this up. I don't really know, but it's just kind of saying, like, as I hear you talk, I'm thinking just about how complex things are. Yes. And it is in the realm of maybe spiritual bypassing sometimes to simplify things in such a way to say, oh, you're just not thinking the right thoughts. Um, because certainly we live in a world that's far more complex and far more situational than to say it's that. So you used the word filter earlier. What mm-hmm. if law of attraction is another name for a filter? So a filter that goes on my lens. So there are probably 15, 20 years of my life where I felt, because of things that I was going through, I felt unlovable. Now, if I add that filter to my experience, I could have had any number of people that would have brought love into my life, both romantic love and friendship love, because this was this was across the board. This wasn't not romantic love. This was just I felt unlovable. I felt broken somehow. So if I add that to my filter, add that filter to my experience, then I could have had all kinds of people that wandered through that I wouldn't even have noticed. No law of attraction. Right. They could have been standing there <laughs> with a with a with a sign. I'm your new best friend. No, because I feel broken, feel I'm back to how subjective our ego is in filtering out all of these things. I recognize when I was a young man um, in my 20s and we go out, there were some nights where I felt very attractive. And isn't it weird that people reacted to me that way? There were other nights where I felt like hunchback of Notre Dame and people reacted to me like that. I think there's some deep spiritual something in there. I'm some kind of radio transmitter. I'm somehow transmitting this energy to the people in my field, right? Don't get anywhere near me. Not only am I physically unattractive, but I'm emotionally unattractive and I'm financially unattractive. 
oh, I'm kind of hot. And people are like, hey, you're kind of hot. What the hell? And even though that crossed my mind, I never gave it that late. I never gave that a lot of thought until I was older. And I thought, well, I had that. I've had these experiences. I had a business. The business went big. The business went bust. And the business killed me financially. Took every last dime I ever had. And plus 100,000 or so. So I thought, well, I can't ever do this again. It took me years, probably 10 plus years before I even considered maybe I could be self-employed again. Like I was self-imposing a sentence. Your job is to go work for someone who is going to treat you very well. Is just going to pay you just enough to keep you around, right? And if you wander off the path at any point, we're just going to throw you overboard. Those are the rules of the game. And I played that game for 10 years until I got up one day and I was like, mm, nah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. But that only happened because something changed. Now I had opportunities that, by the way, were probably standing there the whole time. Also holding signs. I'm the next opportunity. Really good food for yeah. thought. Yeah, it is. And it, I, I, this goes under the heading of kind of where we started. This idea that I like, I think I'm a teacher by stories. So if I throw this out, right, hopefully when we're done today, not that the two of you are, are students, but I throw something like this out to a class. I want someone to think about this, mm -hmm. right? How does this apply to you? If this is true for me, and I'm not pulling your leg. I haven't read a book. I mean, God bless them. There are a number of people that read whatever the latest cool book is, and they go throw a class on it. That's great. But all my stuff is slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. It, my, I've been run over, put back together. I'm the $6 million man, been run over again. I've been conscious laying under the bus thinking, so this is what it looks like to be under a bus. Um, <laughs> now I'm having some success in my life, but I'm hoping that I hope that I don't outlive the success. How about that? But the teacher part of me, I, I feel like Johnny Appleseed. I'm throwing all kinds of ideas out there. Some people will hear one thing. Some people will hear another. Hopefully, what they're resonating with are the things that are potentially important for them in the moment. I think that's true in readings. All of my readings are recorded. Mm -hmm. So I do that because, A, I want their attention. I want them to be present with me. And I want them to be able to go back and listen to something. Because almost always there will be something in that recording that you just will have no memory of me saying. Yep. They have a filter up about something. Mm -hmm. So as a reader, I don't, I, I'm not always looking for confirmation. I'm just following whatever, wherever the reading leads me. And then hopefully there is something in there for them that's usable. Right. That's what I'm hoping. Before we before we wrap things up here. I'm wondering if you could share with us, you know, thinking about teaching and everything, just a little bit about where people can find you. Got it. Um, my website is uh, www.denver-psychic.com. And uh, all the information is on there, all the classes. Charles Cox, Denver Psychic Medium on Facebook. I'm starting to do some classes for another organization, and I'm not posting them in Meetup because there's somebody else's I'm doing them for someone else. And so all the classes are on the Facebook page. And so it's just Charles Cox, Denver Psychic Medium. And on that page, on the Facebook page, you can find all my, um, I'm a contributing author to uh, medium.com, which is funny because it's not medium like psychic medium. Isn't that cool that I just write for them? And But there are a lot of articles that are on there. And then the 
Facebook page has uh, class updates and uh, thoughts of the week and just just everything. I'm a busy guy. You are a busy guy. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. I really enjoyed this. I, it was great. I appreciate ha- appreciate you having me both. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have you back. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Studio audience says yes. <laughs> but now, all, so three you... of our, all three of our listeners will love hearing you again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I told you this along the way. I, I really don't try to hold anything back. I just, I do what I do. I don't think there's any great secret in what I do. Um, I, I worked for a, a, a shyster, just quick story, for a shyster 20 some years ago that was doing self-help, health, I can do this, self-help seminars. Shyster in that he actually ended up going to federal prison. Oh. Um, but he would sell people really expensive seminars and he'd just give them everything. And he felt confident in doing that because he knew that most people wouldn't do it. And in some way, I'm not taking any money from people, but I feel like I can share all this because A, you're not me. And B, it's a lot of work. If this were not a lot of work, a lot more people would do it. There are easier ways to make money. This is a this is a calling for me. It's a, something that I'm passionate about. And when I meet people, and probably you've met these same folks, they're like, I'd really like to be a Reiki healer. Part of doing this work is being a salesperson. It's about bringing your energy in. And right, I want I want to work with that Reiki healer, not you know the one who's not sure that this is what they really want to do. So it's um, I just under the heading of do this again. I love doing this. I talk about whatever and share whatever. Excellent. Thank you. Hi. As is often the case when we roll credits, the conversations will continue afterwards. Um, As the guy who gets to edit audio for the show, I wish that I was sharing more of that and probably will more in the future. I just wanted to give you a quote-unquote behind-the-scenes look Uh, both because I so enjoyed the conversations with Charles and also as a way of just expressing how fortunate I feel to be a part of these conversations with Lori and with all of the wonderful guests like Charles that we have on the podcast. Um, I know we both feel entirely blessed and so appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy this extra bit of post-show conversation. It's a good things to ponder. And yeah, like you say, even, I mean, I think we're all teachers, we're all students and certainly coming into this, there's a lot of food for thought in here for things that feel very, and in that synchronistic way that things happen, things for me to reflect on based on what's happening in my life right now. A couple of years after I started teaching, my classes had really taken off. I'm just having 15, 20 people once I'm teaching every Friday. So it was, it was great. And one night we were doing a circle and as we came out of the circle, not in the dark, but um, in low lights. My guide said to me, when the student is ready, the teachers appear. And it choked me up, chokes me up to tell the story. Hmm. And so I was grateful that we were sitting in kind of low light because I'm like, then this woman said, Charles, what's the matter? And I said, well, my guide just said to me, when the student is ready, the teachers appear. And they're all like, oh, that's so sweet. We're back to the, you can't share these moments. This was profound to me. When this student was ready, these (laughs) teachers appeared, right? Right? Like the world's upside down. They're here to, they're here to 
to come to my class, to be in, in my energy or whatever. Really? When the student's ready, yeah. teachers appear. And my teachers were paying me. Mm. <laughs> that is really profound. I really yeah. worked that out. <laughs> Even I, better. Uh, you know, back, better. back to that earlier point about just wondering about the meaning of why we're here and things. And, and I think that's a level too, like you say, I think the lower, the, you know, the, the overriding level, the holistic level is that we're all here to embody our true selves, right? The journey of that. But, but, you know, me thinking about relationship being part of why part of the curriculum I chose in this lifetime or whatever, it's like, there was a moment when I had that Kundalini awakening at the end of 2018, it's one of those things I can't put words to, right? I can try and tell the story, but it's like I can't express in a way where it it doesn't sound cheesy or silly or stupid. But and, and yet it was it, yet it happened, right. and and it really got me thinking about this idea of like, is there such thing as linear time, or is uh, you know is is this are these things that are happening because of um, a certain knowledge that exists outside of that linear aspect? It was so thematic and so surreal and so strange. And even, you know, three or four years later, however long it's been, I still don't even quite know how to process it all. And I still don't know how to reconcile that Alice in Wonderland experience with me being back in the world, going through the day to day, that whole expression, what do you do after? I mean, not that that was enlightenment, you know, but it's the chop wood, carry water thing. What do you do before? What do you do after? You're You're ruined. Right, you right. can't. Right? Yeah, that resonated falling, for me in a big way. Yeah, I'm either falling very slow or this hole is very deep. Right, I love that line. Mm. Right, because I've had that. Something in my world is not right. I'm either falling very slowly or this hole is very deep. Alice mm. in Wonderland. Right. Right. I remember. Do you, and you don't. You can't tell people that. Well, so you were falling slowly. No. <laughs> I remember, um, and I so hope to bring him into this community at some point, but the head of the Temple Buddhist Center here in Kansas City, his name's Victor. I was in a car ride with him, and I met him in a very synchronistic way where it felt like we, we met at the time we were supposed to. And But I was in a car with him, and I was telling him about this Satori death of self experience I had on the coast of Oregon. And he gave me the term, and I remember just being like, you mean this has happened to so many people that there's a word for it? <laughs> but in describing this loss of self and this connection to something greater and seeing things from enough of a dis- distance that there wasn't good or bad, it was all just beautiful, you know, just life and art unfolding. And he described it in that sense of like, well, it is like falling, but it's also falling down a hole that has no bottom. Yes. You know, it's like it's just like you can you can always go further and and it will be a matter of like, or having the rug pulled out from under you, but you're not going to hit the floor. It's more just like that once once you're in that space, there's no going back because you do recognize that you've stepped outside of the matrix for lack of a better term. You know, it's there's there's something more going on and, and you can never unforget that. Ruined. Yeah. I, Ruined I, I is great. I always love her for that where you're because you cannot go back. Right. She said once you see yourself separate, you cannot go back. Right. You, and the ruin really plays, really applies to the ego stuff. Right. I cannot I cannot play like I am separate. Right? Mm-hmm. I can pretend that I'm separate and I get that. But on the inside, I know that I'm not separate. I know that treating someone badly, that they are connected to me, regardless of whether or not I how I'm acting. I know it. I'm right. ruined. You cannot take that back. And so <laughs> I, 
I, I dig it. I, she was one of my favorite teachers. She was, she was very, I always talk to people like they're dead. She's not, she's retired. I just saw her a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic. She was heavily influenced by Buddhism without selling it. This is, she wasn't selling any of that. Right. But there was that thing about, you know, being the witness and being separate and, and, you know, the Buddhists don't part of their, part of their meditation, they are, they're not trying to shut stuff out. They're trying to connect to everything because in the connection to everything is, is the dial tone of the universe, right? It's the, it's all of the energy. It's the ego that wants to compartmentalize. I'm going to put this over here and put this over here and put this over here and put this in that. I don't, I don't care about that. Right. I don't have time for that. Right. No, then we are then connecting. We are disconnecting for certain parts of that energy. So, you know, I was talking with Valerie Lewis a couple of weeks ago, and she brought up an interesting thought of what if like this is all a dream and we're the dreamer and we're also the dream. Yep. And I was, my mind is still kind of blown by that, but it feels like, yeah, maybe that's what's really happening is that that I'm someplace dreaming this and this is what I'm dreaming, but yet there's an interaction between the dream and the dreamer. That was my experience on the coast of Oregon. I mean, that's what happened to me, this moment of like losing so much of myself that I became everything. But it's like in becoming everything, I recognized that I was individuated from source in such a way that I could have the experience of the the experience of disconnect in such a way that I could appreciate newness and beauty and resilience and joy and loss and sorrow and sadness. All of these things that I might perceive, my ego might perceive as bad, were like these experiences I couldn't have without that individuation. And to have that experience in that moment felt like such a gift. I mean, when I came out of that return to self, whatever you would call it, I don't know. And I was with a friend, you know, and and she must have thought I had lost my mind because I wept for like 20 minutes. I could not talk. And I was just like, it was so beautiful to see everything perfect the way it was, you know, to not have those labels of good or bad. It was just art. Um, cosmic art. Yeah. And, and, and then to come back from that and try and be like, Oh, okay, well, let's go. What are we going to go have dinner? (laughs) Go back to come back to Kansas city and get back into my job and go through my divorce. (laughs) Right. I need Cheerios. Right. Just whole, you know, I I loved your, your response when you're talking to the head of the Buddhist temple where you're like, you mean other people have this so many now that there's a word for it? (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's the ego. That's the ego thinking. I just, I just made this up. Maybe not made it up, but I, I just gifted you this experience. No, this was way out. You left the ego on the side of the road. You kicked its ass out of the, out of your Volkswagen bug and just drove on. Right. (laughs) Right. And for me, you know, this has been, for me, that's been like the essence of this journey and wanting to be in community is to recognize that we are all walking. Like I thought that was such a unique experience that I had to learn that there were so many people that had gone through it. It's like part of, Buddhism and, you know, I'm sure part of other religions as well. And and then to extrapolate is part of the human experience. Yes. And we're all walking around having these fantastical, amazing things happen that don't fit into the paradigm 
of what we've been handed or what we've been taught or what, you know, we see in our day to day, but we're all having them and we're all walking around side by side, having them. And it's like, we haven't quite learned. And maybe that's the evolution of consciousness or this awakening that is coming about is like, how can we start to talk about these things in a way that they do fit into the paradigm or that we build a new paradigm where we understand this isn't out of, this isn't unique. This is, this is, are part of our experience. This is our part of our and, story. And can we live in those places all the time? Mm -hmm. Like, can that just be how we live and recognize that? I yeah. don't know. That would be lovely. Me either. That would be lovely. Yeah.